You're listening to Cornerstone West Los Angeles. All right, hi everybody. Apparently you've been watching me just talk and nothing's been happening uh, because I was muted, which actually <laughs> is a pretty good uh, segue into what I was saying about how work has changed who hasn't been told, I think you're muted when you're talking over the last year in your job. So here's what we're doing here tonight. Uh, what we're doing is we're talking about work because the pandemic has disrupted work in a pretty significant way. And the way that it has disrupted work is by changing a lot of the way you work, maybe the entire job that you have. And what that's done is raised a whole host of questions that you probably had already and just made them louder, turn the volume up on those questions. Like, why do I do what I do? What value uh, does the work that I do have? How does my faith relate to my work and how does it help me answer these other questions? And what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna take time to talk about those different things and to talk about them in terms of these sort of three large categories where I'll teach a little bit on these things, one category at a time, and I'll invite a panel up of people in different stages of their career where they can talk about these things from their own personal experience. And so we'll do that you know, three different times. And here's the three general sections that we'll cover. We're gonna cover the value of work. That'll be one section where I'll teach a little, we'll have a panel. We're gonna cover the struggle with work. And then we're gonna cover the hope for work, the hope for our work. And so right now, we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna start talking about the, the, the value of work, how work has value and how God designed it, and how your faith can actually help you understand this regardless of the job that you have. Now, one of the things about talking about faith and work that is kind of interesting um, is that there is a variety of different answers that people have about how your faith as a Christian should impact your work. Like, what does it mean for you to be a Christian at work? And so those answers, I mean, they range all over the place from, you know, for some people, work is about making a living so that now that you're sort of financially sustainable because of your job, you can go do what God's really called you to do, which is sort of do churchy things and take mission trips and you know, be a part of church life, that kind of thing. Other people would say that work is about making like a lot of money so you can give a lot of money away and be a good Christian by you know, constantly giving. Some people say work is about just being really, really phenomenally good at what you do. And that shows sort of excellence and, and that allows maybe you a platform to, to share Jesus. Some people say work is about sort of seeing how God can help you through your stress and put your eyes on him. It's sort of this, uh, uh, this, this test case, this sort of uh, a situation in which you can learn and be sanctified and, and grow closer to God. Some people think that, you know, work is, this might be a crass way to put it or a little flippant, but it's sort of about just leaving a lot of, a lot of subtle hints that you're a very moral person. So someone can ask you about Jesus and you can tell them. Which is sort of like saying, like, you know, the Christian way to drive is to like drive really well and put a, put a fish uh, bumper sticker on. I, now, at some point, None of those are horrifically bad, but they don't ever actually appreciate, they don't look at work in and of itself. They don't see work as having value in and of itself. Work is always sort of this means to some other larger end. And when you look at scripture, you find something a little bit different than that. The first time you hear about work in the Bible, you hear about it as God working. The very first example of work in the Bible is God himself doing the work. This is in the Genesis account of creation. And so the word used in the creation account is, is, is the word for work, for skilled and involved labor. So here's Genesis 2.2. On the seventh day, God finished his work, his labor that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so the universe as we see it, basically the entire place that we live, is a result of God working 
of God getting his hands dirty in a sense and weaving something skilled and thorough and unique and beautiful. And he consistently calls that work good. So if you're reading the Bible, the first example of work isn't like a, a necessary evil, isn't any of actually the things we just talked about, some sort of way of God to show off. He's happy. He's a pretty moral God. At some point, the first example of work is a joyful creation. It's an expression of joy and creativity and production. And when God's done working, he enjoys how good it is and then commands us to work. And so in chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis, God tells the first human beings, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The idea here is that what God has done and we don't have time to go into all the detail here, but, but in separating things out in the universe, in organizing light and darkness, night and day, a sea and earth and land, in moving things around, and what he's doing is he's taking this mass of chaos and he's bringing order to it. He's subduing it and creating something out of it. He's working. And so when God says, you be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, it's essentially God saying, you do what I do. There's something to do with the creation that he's made. There's more to be had in the world God has made. And God calls us then to go about the business of shaping creation, of rearranging and sort of cultivating the universe that God placed us in. This is Now, everything after that in Scripture always goes back to this idea. You can't think of work without starting here. If God is the first worker and learning from him and trying to respond to that in your own work. Now, that means a few things. Here, and here, here they are. <laughs> One, uh, we need to widen our definition or our, our understanding of what work is. Today we talk about work, we're typically talking about, do you have a job that pays you? And fair enough, but that's a very 21st century way of thinking about work. For most of human history, work wasn't identified with a salary. It wasn't like all of a sudden not work if you weren't getting a salary from it. When they talked about work, for most of human history, they were talking about wherever you put most of your energy during the week. And so in various societies, it would look very different, but it tended to involve farming or hunting or raising kids or a giant combination of all of these things. And that lines up with the Bible here. The one thing that the majority of your energy goes to during the week, that's your work. So we need to be careful asking people if they work. Everybody works. The only difference is what that work looks like. And so to be a student is to work. To be an architect is to work. To be a line cook is to work. To be a stay-at-home parent is to work. Everyone works. That's first. Now, second, we need to see the value of work. If, if God is the first worker, then we ought to look at our work and say, there must be value in this somehow. In other words, work is not just for money. Work is not just so we can focus on leisure and family things and things we think are more spiritual because we have a salary. Work is not just a way to find new people to evangelize. It's not just that. Work is created good, and it's built into who we are and what it means to be a human, what we were commanded to do on the earth. We're created to work, to labor, to maneuver in the world that God's made. And so what we're doing when we work, what you're doing when you work, whatever your work is, is living out a part of what it means to be human. To be human is to work. You're filling the earth. You're, you're sub-creating. You're rearranging what God has made to make new things that are good. So in, in other words, you're creating, you're cultivating. And, and so ultimately what you're doing when you work is, is recreating, rearranging, cultivating the things that God has made to produce something that is actually a means of God loving people in the world. Now, this is, this is Martin Luther's big insight. Um, he, he talked a lot about vocation for a variety of reasons, but one of them is, he, you know, he reads the Lord's Prayer, 
and it says, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And he thinks about it. He meditates on it. How does God give us our bread every day? And he says, you know, if he was living today, he would do it, he would do it this way. He did it in his, his version in his time. But today he would say, well, he doesn't, it didn't just float down from heaven like manna. Today, he gives us our bread through the farmer and the grocer and the delivery truck driver and, and all these different people in these different configurations and different industries that allow us to get our daily bread that we consume every day. In that way, every bit of work, whether you're driving the truck or, or growing the farm or, you know, uh, you're the scientist who's figuring out how to make better seed for, for the bread itself, every bit of work is providing for people. And of course, our immediate reaction is, sure, right? If you're drilling wells in Africa or you're, you know, Doctors Without Borders, of course. But what about you know, my job? And this is where it gets difficult, but it's very important to see the value of your job, of your work. You know, enlisting your abilities to tell a story on a theater stage that shines light on the human condition. That's rearranging things such that you are caring for other people. Managing the productivity of a small group of employees that allows the business to be more effective at the service they provide the community. That's a means, that's God, it's God providing. It's our daily bread. Promoting the health and joy in a household, you know, by raising kids and subduing the environment of your family. That's, that brings joy. You're working with, I don't know, you know, fonts and kerning and to make something look right and have it communicate the emotional and aesthetic impact that it's supposed to. That's work. That, that, that's, that's creating. It's moving things around such that you are providing something for other people. There's a nobility to work in and of itself. Your work has value. As Dorothy Sayers wrote about work, and one of the things she said is one of the big problems in the church is that people don't see work that way. She said that, you know, the problem is the first word that the church has to a, to a carpenter is that, you know, he should make sure he's not, you know, getting drunk and disorderly in his off hours. She says, instead, the church should, what the church should be telling him, the quote, is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. That's absolutely right. The work isn't just a means to an end. It has nobility and value in itself. And so shoddy tables become an affront to what work is. They impede what God is trying to provide through that work. And they therefore are not a part of subduing the world that God's made and creating something that around which a family can sit and have a family meal. It's impeding the way that God wants to provide for people. And so you can't say, well, some work is spiritual and some isn't. Some work has value and some doesn't. Now, people at nonprofits and people who are doctors and people who are pastors like me, they're doing the, you can't say those sorts of things. All work is godly work. All work is important work. All work is valuable in the world God has made. Work is at essentially the, the very center of God's agenda for us when you think of it this way. It's not an afterthought. It's part of what we are created to do on the earth. So what are we saying? What is work? It's a calling. It's, it's a role, a responsibility that God has given to each one of us. It's good and it's godly, it's creative, it's cultivating, it has value in and of itself. Now look, do you see the value? Do you op is that kind of the, the way you operate when it comes to your understanding of your work? Can you imagine how differently you'd work if you did? Now look, there's, you, you might immediately say, that's not what my job looks like. And, there's, now, and we're gonna cover that in a moment, but for, for now, we're gonna stop. I'm gonna invite my, my, the panel to come up and we're gonna talk a bit about the value of work. You can hear from them about some of the value of their work. And then we'll come back to talk about the, the difficulty and the struggle of work. So we'll turn to that now. You guys can come on up. And Matt, our moderator, is going to uh, oh, answer yeah. all of our wow. questions. All that clapping for me? Amazing. 
Welcome, everybody. I am Matt. I'll be your host for tonight for the Vocation Conference. We're so glad that you're here, so glad that you can join us tonight with so many other things going on. But uh, we're going to introduce our panel first and foremost and um, just share a little bit about who you are, uh, what kind of work you do, and where you're at in your career. Cool. Uh, for those of you who haven't met uh, me, uh, my name is Charlie Chen, and uh, I work as a software engineer. And um, I've been in the industry since 2016. Um, uh, right now, I'm currently a uh, remote employee at a startup uh, based in San Francisco. And then uh, before that, I was at a mid-sized cybersecurity company. And then um, I started out in a startup here in Santa Monica, um, yeah, as a software engineer, so. Awesome, yeah. thank you, Charlie. Meredith. I'm Meredith Stores, and I work in communications and marketing for a independent school. And so that entails everything from uh, creating advertising for the school, uh, internal communications, helping families understand what's happening in the life of the school, fundraising support. And I've been in educational administration for about 15 years. Cool. My name is Jonathan Lee. Uh, I work at a firm here in Century City called George Smith Partners. We're a uh, capital advisory uh, business in real estate finance. Um, my firm is about 50 people. I'm one of the principals. So I'm a partner in the firm, and I'm also a managing director, so I run day-to-day -day as well as have my own book of business. Um, I told my kids tonight that I would say hi to them. Mackenzie Jackson, I hope you're doing well, and you need to go to bed soon. Um, <laughs> a shout-out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean that we... We don't. Do we need now to talk to our children? Is that what's mine? Better be asleep. <laughs> they better be asleep. Uh, that, so that's uh, that's one of the things I'm involved in. I'm also on the board of the Union Rescue Mission, and I recently joined a board of a startup bank called CalFirst. So hmm. when you're ready to open a deposit, <laughs> we're ready for you. So this is an advertising. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm taking full advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know we're getting better numbers than the Oscars right now, right? Well, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. We, I yeah. was just checking it. We yeah. we. I'm pretty sure we are, yeah. Okay. For those of you who navigated online, navigated the link, it went to the, you have to click on the English live stream, 9 a.m. to get here. So here you are, welcome. Um, and what do you do, sir? I'm a pastor here at the church. Okay. Been doing that for a while. How long? 15 years. Oh, wow. Congratulations, that's great. Well, we are going to welcome, thank you all. You can give them another round of applause. That would be great. <laughs> It is it's actually really great. It's super, super helpful. One of the things we're so grateful for at the church is the fact that there's so many godly men and women who can speak to th these kinds of topics with a lot of authority, a lot of um, just insight. Uh, it's not something where we as pastors feel like we have to uh, uh, control all of that. And the reality is there's a lot of godly men and women in the church who have a lot to share. And so we're excited about this panel tonight to share about vocation and kind of in light of what Brian has shared in the first 15 minute message, the first question on the table is, how do you see your work as something that is good, that serves God and others? Brian talked about this vision of um, God's design for work, this, this sort of original created intent um, and how that should inform everything that we do, no matter what our job is or how uh, maybe hard it is to see how that connects to God's original design. But for you, and let, we'll start with you, Meredith, how do you see, um, and I'll repeat the question, how do you see your work as something good that serves God and serves others? I really like to think a lot about human flourishing. I kind of come back to that term when I think about not just my 
you know, nine to five job, like you were saying, Brian, that the holistic picture of my work, which includes, I have three kids and um, a husband. I always forget to mention that. What's um, up, Phil? Hey, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think about how I can contribute to the flourishing of my family, of the school where I work. When I am working on an article for the newsletter, there's an opportunity for me to highlight this incredible work of a colleague of mine. I can uplift what they're doing in the classroom. I can uh, have an impact on the kinds of families who want to come to the school if I am you know, ordering and designing uh, different materials that show off the story and the, the values of our school. And so there's a lot of ways for me in my work to connect back to, you know, does this make the world a better place? At the end of the day, have I done something that brings kindness, brings goodness to the people around me, to uh, my own family? And, you know, thinking about those circles, kind of, you know, the impact that my work would have on my own family, and then kind of as it, it broadens out to my work community, to the city of Los Angeles, uh, to the world. But I don't know. I think about it a lot. There's probably a lot of examples. Well, can you define flourishing for, for me? I mean, that's not a word that you used in your, although I think the concepts are all there. Can you, can you like, when you say flourishing, that sounds like a really compelling, a compelling sort of anchoring uh, a vision for how you're engaging in your work, right? How, uh, what does that look like? What, what does flourishing mean in your mind as you think about that? Well, if you look at, like, Adam and Eve in the garden, yeah. and you can grow plants or you can participate in such a way that they flourish. And I think what I feel, a way that I can show off the image of God that is in my work and, and in us as humans is to really pursue not just the bare minimum, not just getting things done and checking off boxes, but thinking about flourishing. Like, is this something that doesn't just make a plant grow, but makes it flower, makes it bloom, makes it come alive and reach toward the sun. And so I, I think that word is a really vivid picture of what work can be. Absolutely. Charlie, what do you, how about for you in your context, what does it look like to um, connect your work to how it, uh, it serves God and serves others? And how does that shape sort of the way that you view your work? Yeah, I think for technology, it's pretty broad. You can it's in all different kinds of industries, but um, so there's a lot of, it's really crucial to all the like, different parts of everyday life that we have now, but for me specifically, I, I started out in a startup that was um, creating drones for maps, uh, maps for drones, so like where they could fly, where they couldn't fly, and different like airspace management like tools for that. But drones for maps, that'd be a good startup too, if you wanted to flip yeah. it on its head yeah, a little yeah. bit. Just an next, idea. Next startup idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jonathan's got some capital for you. Okay. It's real estate. We could use it. <laughs> yeah. So um, for, for me there, it was, it was very clear in terms of how I could have impact in terms of the, the work I did for and serve others, um, where the idea would be if drones were an everyday part of our lives, then, um, you know, it would be delivering food or it'd be, you know, search and rescue, different kind of efforts like that um, in, in terms of real estate, assessing property, all those kind of things. Um, so, but I think for me, I actually had a hard time initially um, and throughout my career connecting those the dots from like the actual code that I was writing to whether or not I was actually impacting people and sure. uh, 
serving God. And I think that's probably yeah. very relatable for a lot of people, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that, like, it was hard to see how, like, something, some code that I was writing would impact someone. I think there was very real um, kind of vision there, potential. But I think the problem was um, at a startup, a lot of times the work you're doing is not necessarily reaching a, a large customer base, and you're not actually um, really maybe servicing people in the, in the current moment. And so a lot of the work we were doing was um, future-facing. So it's, mm. it has the potential to help people, but um, at the moment, it didn't feel like I was actually serving someone or actually impacting someone's life. So th- for me, it was really hard actually to connect the dots uh, in that kind of instance. Uh, another case where like when I was working at a cybersecurity co- uh, f- firm, uh, it was very real, like very clear, like, okay, I'm helping protect the operations, the data, the work I'm doing is helping to protect these Fortune 500 companies, their data, their operations. So it's, it's very clear in terms of that. But uh, even for me, like, it was hard. There was no feedback loop in terms of the code that I was writing, that product that I was working on, that actually, um, when I, you know, wrote the code and then submitted it to production, like, it was hard to see uh, sometimes the feedback in terms of, is this actually impacting the customer? Are they actually, um, you know, getting use out of what I, I created? So. For me, it was really hard to sometimes see that and to um, really feel that I was actually making impact on others. How have you kind of bridged that gap? Because you're describing the mm-hmm. difficulty of this, right? You're describing the, the difficulty of being able to uh, bridge the gap between uh, this vision for uh, uh, flourishing in the workplace and mm-hmm. impacting people and, and, and uh, being part of God's original design and uh, 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 for work in our, in our lives and that gap for you, do you feel like you've come a ways in bridging that gap and helping um, see the significance and purpose of what you're doing? Or is that kind of a regular ongoing struggle for you continually? I think a little bit of both. So um, I think early on, what I did was I leaned more into the idea that I'm ambassador for Christ at my workplace. So that was more of what I felt like I was having an impact in. So my, the way I work, did my work, the way I related to my coworkers, like that was the way I served others and served God. Yeah. Um, so early on, I didn't really, when I didn't feel like I was actually having an impact on people with my actual, like the code I was writing, the, the work I was doing, the day-to-day work, that's what I would lean into more. Um, I think maybe the way that it would help is ter- for me in terms of like think, feeling that I had an actual impact would be to sh- kind of have a little bit more of a, a perspective shift. So like seeing it as more of like, we're, I'm making foundational like changes, I'm making foundational work so that the future, or even trailblazing in some ways, so that uh, I'm part of a, a company or effort that's doing that, so that um, in the future we will have these things. And uh, I'm making kind of, like I'm paying it forward in a sense, like the dividends of what, the, what will happen later. Will, you're you're will tilling the soil, if you yeah, will, yeah, for kind of. other people to be able to plant, build, and, and, and cultivate that flourishing yeah. that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Jo- thank you, Charlie. Jo- Jonathan, how about yeah. from your perspective, how do you how do you see this in your in your workplace? Well, there's God and then there's others, right? And I, I start with the God. Um, I start with God. Um, I think about Matthew 25. Often, I think it's kind of one of the guiding principles is a parable of the, the master who goes away and gives three servants various numbers of talents. One gets one, one gets two, one gets five. And when the master comes back and gives them an account, the one with five doubles it and gives it to the master. And the guy with two doubles it and gives it to the master. And the last one, out of fear, just buried his talent and never used it and just returns it. And the master's upset with him because he's like, I, I gave you something of worth. I wanted you to do something with this. And I've very much taken that to heart. I, I, I feel 
in my mind, I'm the guy with two talents and I want to give back five. I want to somehow double it and then do a little bit better. So um, that's how I look at it because I look at everything and you guys have been doing a great job of this throughout all of my time here at Cornerstone. We're always looking backwards from eternity and I want to show up, you know, embarrassed if I didn't do more, mm. you know. Um, so that's always been something in the back of my mind. How that plays out with others, something similar to what you said, uh, it's another concept. We're the salt of the earth. Right. And I, you don't always see a direct correlation with what you're doing, but just by being a Christian in your environment, you're going to reach people that will probably never meet Christ, um, either professionally, uh, work wise. I've met, you know, a lot of people that are just agnostic towards religion that hit a crisis. They know I'm a Christian. They think about me differently. Um, they think about how I treat them, you know, in a business transaction, you know, how my integrity in that, that also plays out as a Christian. Um, I will say that um, my industry is a little dark. Um, I, I think I'm the cleanest shirt in a dirty laundry basket, but it's okay. It works. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I like the cleanest shirt in a dirty laundry basket. <laughs> it's true. I mean, yeah. look, you know, like, I, we, we're going to get to the thorns and thistles For later. Sure. But, you know, there, there are people in my business that worship the money and worship the power that comes with, you know, having money. And it's hard not to be kind of drawn into that, right? But at the same time, you know, if you stand for what you stand for, you're an anomaly, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's opportunities to, to uh, witness in that way, but also to just be salt and just have, uh, you know, bleed out into the world um, something that preserves the world. It's interesting. I think it's your, uh, the, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, and talents for those at home, talent is... Money. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. 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 We say we say the parable of talent. And we say I was given two talents. It's not like right. you know I can uh, do backflips and you know uh, <laughs> and, and juggle, but it, uh, it's more like uh, you're given something. It's sort of the context of stewardship in a sense, right? right? Where right. you're given an opportunity to uh, uh, to do a job well, to help cultivate flourishing in a context, um, and you can hide hide it and and be afraid of what might happen if you walk through that door and, and try to help create flourishing right. or you can step into this role that God has given you this opportunity that God has given you and see if God can multiply it and and, right. and have significant impact on um, the work and and I think significant impact on the work is both in the context of helping your business or your school or your, or your firm whatever do do better in its goals mm -hmm. but also to represent Christ well in that context and live in that calling that God has given you um, uh, in that area. So yeah. I think that's a stewardship question is a really interesting one. Meredith? I was just going to add, I think that, you know, the parable is about money, but I think all of us have these different skill sets that we bring, and there are ways in which it can be tempting to hold back, like, well, I, I really shouldn't do so much at work because I need to make sure that I'm doing all of these other volunteer things or, you know, we spiritualize certain kinds of things that are better kinds of work. Mm -hmm. And for some people, I think working unto the Lord is going to look like scaling back paid employment and pursuing things that don't necessarily get valued in the same way in the world. But for others, I do think that there's an opportunity to say, I have this skill set. I'm really good at management or I'm really good at art or something like this and, and being able to invest in that and do it well and not just sort of hedge your bets and make sure like, well, I, I, let me bury this because I don't want to like do the wrong thing or the not Christian thing. And sure. then I, I won't have anything to show for it. You know, 
I, I've spent my 20s. I, I've, I'll be candid about this. You know, for a long time. You're in your uh, late 20s now, right? Yeah, right. I'm, my, <laughs> uh, I'm 44 years old. I've been at my firm for 15 years. I started as an analyst, but I spent my 20s trying to figure out what would please God the most, mm. and waiting for Him to show me the way, and not realizing that I needed to just plow forward into what I was good at. Like, mm. I, I get seasick at the end of a dock. So being a pilot, you know, for New Tribes Missions, like Mike McGregor, never going to do that, right? That's just <laughs> not going to happen. But it took me some time and exploring and finally found out what I was good at. And then when I really kind of let myself, you know, feel his grace and what I was doing, I started to excel at it. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's where I think you're right, Meredith, that this idea of the parable of the talents, and I think it's a really helpful, uh, a helpful place to go in some ways, is that we, we are given... Uh, a certain amount of time, certain amount of energy, certain amount of resources, certain amount of, uh, of skills and opportunities. Mm-hmm. And stewardship isn't about, um, you know, we think the word stewardship, we think money, but it's about so much more than that. It's about investing yourself. You said investing. Um, and that's also a money term, but it's about investing time, energy, um, efforts uh, for a, a purpose of cultivating that flourishing and living in that calling that God has called us to. So I think that's really awesome. I think that's really great first sort of panel. And we're going to wrap it up. We're going to go on to this. There's no really good way to segue this. So, <laughs> sorry. We're going to move so on to the second section of our, um, of our clap. Actually, that's a great way that's to a segue. segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, Please clap. Yeah. <laughs> Please clap. All right. So... Um, this, this is the transition uh, because and it's, there's no way to do this well. At some point, I guess we could have just done all the teaching at once and then had the panel just kind of do it all together, but this seems like a better way to, to uh, draw out certain important aspects of what we're talking about. The truth is you can't talk about the value of work without also understanding the struggle of work, which is maybe easier to understand in some ways, um, but what we need to do is kind of understand why, not just that it exists, that there's a struggle with work, but why there is. In other words, you can do um, the work of figuring out how your daily endeavors connect possibly down a long domino chain to a means of providing for someone or the community in some way, shape, or form. Um, that doesn't, isn't going to all of a sudden make the difficulties of work disappear. And so the reason, the reason that struggle exists, to go back to Genesis and back to the beginning, where work is sort of first brought on the stage, is from the fall. It's from Genesis 3. It's about sin. So you look at Genesis 3, uh, the first human sin, uh, God comes into the garden, and they're talking about it, and God says, and this is verse 17, you know, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. There's a lot, grabbing that verse and just you know, reading it, not, there's a lot around it that we can talk about. But the thing I want to point out is that phrase, thorns and thistles. And what's happened and what the world we live in, work hasn't lost its value. Work isn't a curse itself, but kind of like everything else, it's under the curse. It's under a curse. It's under the, the curse of sin in, in a fallen world. And that means that, therefore, work is always going to fall short of what you know it could be. Now, in, in Genesis 3, work is tied up really you know, tightly to gardening, because you're in a garden. And so you end up with this phrasing, thorns and thistles. Gardening, in other words, is not just about creating anymore, just about arranging and, and bringing out flourishing. 
gardening is also about defending against weeds. And so now you have this other element that's involved. And so despite the difficulties, work still bears fruit, but never as much as you know it could if you weren't under a curse, if it weren't for the weeds. Now, there's thorns and thistles in a lot of ways. And this is a metaphor you can take out for a walk. In one sense, there's thorns and thistles on the outside. There's conflict among coworkers. There's office politics. There's you know, bad leadership or lazy employees or unethical business practices or professors who don't care if you learn or you know, kids who find new and novel ways to spill things on the floor. Like there's all these, there are thorns and thistles outside that sort of restrict your work from flourishing the way it could. But in the midst of that, there's a larger problem because work isn't just difficult for us. We are also difficult for work. There's thorns and thistles inside. In a nutshell, this fall and the sin we're talking about is ultimately an issue of, of de-godding God, of looking at God and saying, I'd, I'd rather be God myself. And so it's tied up in idolatry that we talk about a lot at Cornerstone, such that you know, we're created to worship God. But when we try and replace him ourselves, we reject him, we end up finding this sea of other things to, to take his, his place as we deem fit. So we're going to source our meaning, source our satisfaction, source our, our sense of worth, source our life and fulfillment and security from these other things. And everyone can have a different variety of them with you kind of on the throne, harnessing them as things you're going to try and leverage to be your own God. And ultimately what ends up happening is that they become your God. They become the thing that you end up serving. When you think they're going to serve you, you end up serving them. And what ends up happening then is, is that work as a chief place we express our humanity is going to be a chief place that we see that idolatry play out. And that's going to take place personally, but it's also going to take place corporately. Now, personally, the, the common way of thinking about work, at least culturally for us, and maybe this crosses a lot of different cultures, is that work is either going to be an idol or an inconvenience. You know these people. Um, work is either something that you basically live to work or work is something you have to do in order to go find what your life really is later outside of the, you know, the nine to five office hours. So when work is an idol, it means your identity is caught up in your work. So here's, for example, uh, uh, there's a former CFO of Lehman Brothers uh, said, I, I didn't start out with the goal of devoting all of myself to my job. It crept in over time. Each year that went by, slight modifications would become the new normal. So first, I spent a half hour on Sunday organizing my email, to-do list, and calendar to make Monday morning a little bit easier. Then I was working a few hours on Sunday, and then all day. My boundaries slipped away until work was all that was left. And inevitably, when I left my job, it devastated me. I couldn't just sort of rally and move on. I didn't know how to value who I was versus what I did. What I did was who I was. And that's what can happen. You know, when work becomes an idol for you, work becomes something that gives you a home, gives you an identity, gives you a, a reason for being. And you might not think of it this way, but you end up worshiping. Work has sort of taken the place of God. It's the place you source your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your sense of worth, your security. And that's why when work is an idol, one of the things you notice is it ends up involving the destruction of other things in your life. So when work is an idol, what ends up suffering are relationships outside of work or all sorts of other hosts of things that can happen. And therefore, work leads to burnout and stress and the occasional fix of accomplishment or it's the only place you ever actually feel happy. <laughs> you know, you, you, the only place you ever really feel good, which draws the life out of everything else and just puts it all in that place of work. That's when work's an idol. Now, some people think of work as an inconvenience. This is when, you know, I hate working, but I have to, which typically is what happens when you serve another idol. 
And work is a means of serving that idol. So you can kind of, you know, it's a hobby, it's a relationship, but work is what you have to do to get back to where life really belongs. In either situation, you don't have the ability to work as God intended because work is caught up now in idolatry. So you're not like free to value work because work has become either your God or a demon. But in neither situation are you free to value work. And so you kind of find yourself stuck. You bounce back and forth from one to the other half the time. And some jobs encourage you to make them an idol, especially in, in large cities. You tend to find that it's just a little bit easier for work to demand more of your time, more of your attention, more of your focus, and more of who you are. A lot of places, they actively encourage you, make us your identity here at the office, in our office culture. And there's various ways this can happen. So they're encouraging that. And our culture can have that as an idol. You know, the more you hustle, the more worthwhile you are. There's ways that this kind of happens all around us. That's inside of us, but it also happens corporately, not just personally, but corporately. When there's no God that gives like an overarching purpose to life, that orders things, what we end up doing is we find ourselves in need of a new purpose. And so what we do, when we organize ourselves into, you know, corporations and businesses and industries, the exact same thing is going to be true just now corporately. Like what's our purpose? What's the purpose of what we're doing? And in the absence of God, it almost always slides towards some kind of idol. For example, profit. There's an industry idol of profit. Hear me out here. Sweatshops. There's a way you find businesses using like child labor in foreign countries to lower overhead. Now, when did that become a good idea to somebody? It wasn't because someone was sitting around, you know, a table going like, you know what we should do? Let's invent sweatshops. That's the best idea. No no one did that. It was a slow slide out of a devotion to profit over time that eventually led to this sort of slide into that. And if you notice, it's never companies that are like struggling that use them. It's never like we just needed to make ends meet and keep the lights on. No, it's always corporations that are already very successful. It's like Rockefeller. When they asked him, you know, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Why? Well, because whole industries can build themselves around an idol, unlike the idol of profit. You know, the profit's what you live for. It's getting a good quarterly report. You know, it's, it's giving the shareholders a good earnings report. That's what gives you your, your company meaning. And that's not just a CEO. That's the entire culture of an industry. And it's not always sweatshops. It can be the way that they treat or handle employees. It can, you know, as cogs in a machine, this sort of thing. But in other words, profit is a wonderful thing, but it's a horrible God. And, and so, uh, for example, in 2009, it's a little old now, but James Murdoch, told an audience, he said, the only reliable and perpetual guarantor of independence is profit. That's a big fancy sentence. What he's saying is, how do we keep ourselves who we are without interference? How do we keep regulation off of our back? How do we stay independent as an industry? Only by profit. And I want to say it was like three years later that the pursuit of profits what sank them. This is a little bit old now, but there was the phone hacking scandal that they went through, which is their way of trying to make more money to get a leg up by hacking the phones of certain people. Three years later, after all this goes down, Susan Murdoch, his sister, speaks in front of the exact same audience. And she said, profit without purpose is a recipe for disaster. Profit, it's a wonderful thing, but it's a horrible God. And so you put all this together and you have, these are just various iterations. And we'll talk more in a moment with the panel of the way that these thorns and thistles, they come at us from the outside. They come at us from the inside personally. And we deal with them in even the the culture of our industry. 
Living in a fallen world with these thorns and thistles can make work a struggle. You will struggle as both a victim and a perpetrator. You will struggle as someone who yourself is bringing your own sinful issues, your own fallen self to work. And you'll struggle because when you're there, you'll have fallen coworkers who are part of a fallen system, who are part of a fallen world. And as all that comes together, we're going to need hope. But that's next. Now I'm going to invite the panel back up. And what I want to do during this time, and I'll have Matt lead us in this, is talk a bit about this. It's very helpful to sit in this because it's very helpful to think about as Christians, how do you navigate? How do you navigate the thorns and thistles at work? How do you name them and understand them and identify them and then, and then move on with them? And so we'll turn to that now, and then we'll come back for our last session. Thanks, Brian. So this is the opportunity to complain about your workplaces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the airing of grievances. Nice. I'm just kidding, because bosses might be watching. But no, it's, it's true. It's really, I think it's one of those things about work that uh, is most present and most maybe familiar and most commonly on our minds. The struggles, the thorns and thistles of um, trying to aim for flourishing as we've talked about and yet being held back or restricted by these thorns and thistles in our lives, in our workplaces. And so I'll start with you, Jonathan. Um, mm. What are some of the thorns and thistles that make work hard in your particular job? You already talked about you being a clean shirt in a- uh, Dirty laundry. Dirty laundry, <laughs> yeah, dirty laundry bin. But like, uh, kind of walk us through that. Explain a little bit more about what that looks like in your context. So something that's interesting about my job, I, I know not everyone's like this, but um, my job is 100% commission. It is, if you close a deal, you get paid, you can go months without closing anything, and then you can close a bunch of stuff in a row and you feel good about yourself. Um, what that does is um, I, I, I think about our firm, and I, I love my colleagues, I love my partners, I love everyone I work with, I help manage the office, but we are a pack of hyenas, and if we're not going after the same goal as a pack, we're eating each other. It is extremely competitive. Um, people are constantly calling on other people's clients and trying to win business because that's how they make money. So, um, you know, you get caught into that and, and that competitiveness. And I, I said before, I have, I have drive. I, I don't mind competing. Um, but there's ways to do it ethically and not. And so that's a struggle. Um, a, lot, a lot of the things that you hit on, um, I completely agree with. The other thing, you know, we're talking about, we're getting drawn into money, but it happens to be, you know, a large part of my work and a lot of people work for money. Um, I think everybody. But uh, the, the thing that gets me is the money is at best uh, an idol and at worst a God to people that don't have a Christian outlook on life. And so, you know, when you're interacting with those people, you start to get drawn into their throne rooms. You see what they worship. And it's not... It's, I have an influence on them because of how I see the world and, and how I represent Christ, but they absolutely have an influence on me. And it takes a lot to come back and say contentment. You know, contentment to people in my world is a hipster coffee shop that they don't know about in a gentrifying area that they should be investing in. Abbott Kinney, that's where I go Abbott when, I wanna, should have a when I want to have a good cup of coffee, yeah. contentment. <laughs> So that, that's, like, that's my struggle. It's like my value system is, is, is vacant, largely in my space. I, I know maybe 10 Christians in commercial real estate finance. One of them goes to church here. We hang out. So talk about how bad it is. So. Would, they, would they see um, 
your perspective of the world, a Christian worldview in that context, is it seen as naive? Is it seen as weak? Is it, is it engaged with in that way? Yeah, you know, the best way I can describe it is people look at me as a complete anomaly. Like I, I talked to a colleague, another actually competitor, and you know sometimes your competitors will ask you to share notes with each other. And so he called me, he's like, what do you think about this lender? And so we started chatting. And I knew his daughter was struggling with stuff. So I said, hey, how's your teenage daughter doing? And he went down a road. He's like, you know, she just got committed 5150. Like he, he's like, but I know you're a really religious guy. I've never witnessed to him in my life. Hmm. But people know, I've been in my industry for 15 years. People know who's a Christian. They know if you're different. And it's a head scratcher. Like, who is this guy? Is he going to... Is it, is it all a facade? Is that what he uses to win certain kinds of Yeah, is of that lines? your angle, to, my angle? To, yeah. to throw you off? He's like off. the super nice guy. Yeah. It's crazy, you know? <laughs> it's, 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 they don't understand that you're playing for an audience of one. That, that's how I look at it. Um, but again, there's, there's, it's a push-pull, right? You're, you're in the world. You can't be you know, completely absolved of everything that's happening around you. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely sense that. Um, but uh, again, and there's opportunities in that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Charlie, what does that look like for, for you, the thorns and thistles in your context? Uh, for me, it was, I didn't really, I kind of went into work fresh out of college thinking my struggle was going to be in terms of could I keep up with the pace, could I deliver, but I didn't really expect uh, workplace politics to be something that I had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like, well, it didn't really happen to me directly, but um, I just thought like as a junior engineer, I'm not going to have to deal with it because nobody's it's like a struggle for power and authority. I don't really have any power and authority as a junior engineer. So I just the struggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't, it kind of took me by surprise when it happened. Um, and I didn't realize how much it would affect me emotionally. Like it would, it wasn't even me who was like, let's say the victim of it. But um, as you kind of, at first it's like shock. It's like, I can't believe this happened. And then you're kind of walking on eggshells. You're not really, you're not as secure as you were before. And then um, as it starts to happen to more people, kind of just if you had a dissenting voice or you weren't really seeing eye to eye with the person perpetrating it, then they would find ways to like um, force you out of the company, humiliate you, or just like get you fired and stuff. So like to me, I just didn't realize that that could happen. And so like I, I knew that workplace politics was a, a thing. I just didn't realize it would affect me uh, in my work and my everyday, like uh, just the ability to to show up and, and and do the work, and so sort of caught you off guard. Yeah, right? caught me off guard. I think it affected the whole, and it's because it's like a not so much because it's a flat structure in a startup. It's it's a small like team. It's like less than fifty people, so it has a ripple effect that affects everyone. And so um, it like really it sapped the life out of the company, the just the morale and and just people, uh, just the team. Like it bonded the team together maybe like the actual like the employees not the executives maybe but uh just it, it affected me emotionally in the way that like it was hard to see people like as if you're a christian kind of like you're thinking okay i'm going to work i care about my coworkers, i want to be their friends to see them like how it would affect them emotionally that gets you to it gets you upset to see almost like an injustice at the workplace and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that uh it kind of just for me i would it got at the end of it kind of where a lot of people had left and I kind of felt like a little bit left behind and a little bit like uh, just every day that I would show up to work was a reminder that, you know, all these people that I worked with, all these friendships I had, they're all gone because of some people trying to kind of play the politics game at work. And so uh, it was just, I, I kind of dreaded at the end going to work because it's like, I have to show up, I have to, I see the people who I, you know, who kind of are, I think are responsible for this and 
uh, have to wrestle with, like, if I'm a Christian, I'm called to love them too, even though I resent them. <laughs> I resent, like, I had something that I enjoyed, and in a sense, their decisions impacted that, uh, that team, that, um, those friendships that I had. So, yeah. Sort of like you're grieving a loss mm -hmm. of something that was out of your control. Yeah. And obviously coming from a place of selfishness and that's hard. And what about now in your in your current workplace? Is it different kind of? I mean, you're in a startup mm -hmm. again, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what kind of thorns and thistles have been experienced in your context now? Yeah. So I actually, so I, what I did is I went to a, a mid-sized company after that because I thought, okay, well, I'll just avoid startups for a while. <laughs> and, and then actually, what I didn't realize was you can the human have, condition. You didn't realize the human condition. <laughs> the, so, those people who were, you know, they yeah. were also over there. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been surprised by like sinfulness. Like, just you have humans, you have power and authority. Right, right, right. Like that sh shouldn't have surprised me in terms of you'll have power struggles and stuff. But uh, what I didn't realize you can have politics around products or like pro initiatives or projects. And so mm -hmm. I went to this, the second company and then what I didn't realize was the, the product I was working on was a, taken from a, a, a team that existed in, already in the company. We were a completely new team that was created. And then it was, there was politics around that. So it's like, we're trying to do work. They won't give us some information that we need from that, their initial work on it. Then when we're trying to release the product day before we're trying to go live, they've basically try to sabotage our work in terms of just following a bunch of like high severity uh, bugs or issues with our work. So, so these are the first two jobs you had? Yeah, the first two jobs I had. So, um, if you're looking for a job in real estate finance. <laughs> it's a, a lot easier. It, yeah. uh, it yeah. No sabotage yeah. over there. Yeah. Definitely not. Welcome to a pack of hyenas. How do you feel, yeah, how do you feel about hyenas? Feel like, if you were going to describe yourself as an animal, Charlie, would you say hyena? No. I don't think okay, so. Right, yeah. Yeah. Only, on the, only on the basketball court. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, so, you know, politics, um, politics, though, is just, it's just pride. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's human pride coming out. That, people get upset about things because they lose things. They don't get the credit for it. It's pride. That's the thing. It's hard to penetrate and get, get around that. But keep going. Yeah, I exactly. hear more. I think like the first time it happened in my first company, it was because you know, the person didn't see eye to eye with, their, uh, with someone else and, and didn't think that you know, the work they did belonged under their division. And so then they kind of just forced them out. So. Um, yeah, so I guess I didn't, re like it ca caught me by surprise the second time, but uh, uh, at that point I kind of was just, I, I learned a little bit from the first experience, but I definitely was a little bit, just kind of fed up with it at the second one. But my current job, I don't think there's, so far there hasn't been any issues. I think there's a little <laughs> bit of trauma where it's like, I'm like, not like waiting for it to happen, but I'm, I won't be surprised by it. And I kind of just like, I'm, I'm a little bit wary. Like if I see stuff, uh, I'm a little wary, like, okay, is there going to be politics here and stuff like that? So, so far, it's not, it's not bad. What's interesting, yeah. Jonathan, you said it's an opportunity, right? Like, mm -hmm. in the midst of workplaces that are marred by sin, marred by this brokenness, these thorns and thistles, um, there's an opportunity to represent Christ in the midst of it. And sometimes, maybe there's nothing that can be done in, mm -hmm. in the sense of, the, you know, some of your first experiences where you get pushed out or everyone gets pushed out and you're kind of left kind of figuring out how, how do I represent Christ in this situation? And I would imagine there's probably a lot of people in similar situations in your workplaces where you're kind of really praying and wrestling. How do I even navigate these thorns and thistles? Because it feels like there's no way to represent Christ well. Um, but seeing it as an opportunity and kind of saying, asking God to show you what does it look like to represent Christ well in the midst of these thorns and thistles, I think is 
is a, a really a powerful context to, to walk into that workplace with. And maybe when you encounter that in this company, whatever those look like, you'll be able to, to navigate that more, mm -hmm. um, more thoroughly with that experience. Um, let's turn to you, Meredith, and kind of describe for us what thorns and thistles look like in your context. So there are a couple I, I wanted to talk about. The first is just struggling with having finite capacity. And I have yet to talk to somebody who's in a job that doesn't ask them for more at any given turn. And, and your boss is always trying to get as much as they can out of you. And it's really up to you to say, like, okay, that's, that's enough. And as a person who's particularly ambitious and who really enjoys work and wants to continue growing in that, it can be really hard to take a pause and to ask the question, like, just because I can, does that mean I should? Is this a moment where I need to be, you know, firing on all pistons and, and full steam ahead? Or is this a moment to acknowledge other priorities in my life and other types of work beyond the workplace that really need my attention? And, and being okay with, I don't have to get that promotion this year. I don't need to do this thing tomorrow. There's time, potentially, mm -hmm. assuming you know, that I have a, a career ahead of me that like, I often ask myself, like, is this a thing that I have to do today? Or is this something I can do when I'm 50? Like do, because I have a second grader and I'm only gonna have a second grader this year. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain things that I get to do this year with her that I don't get to do in a decade. But I have certain professional goals that, you know, I could publish that book 10 years from now. It'll probably still be relevant. I could pursue that next promotion five years, eight years out when it fits better with what's going on in my life. And, and it's really hard to take that step back and to ask those questions. But so wrestling with capacity is one. And then the other is uh, we talk, you guys talk a lot in preaching about flattening people and how we will see people as very one-dimensional sometimes. And I think there's nothing that feels more flattening than trying to articulate yourself on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper to do a job interview and to try to showcase- You're saying 3D, 3D resumes? You, you want to put like- Well, uh, I'm a graphic designer, yeah, so yeah, I really so like, like <laughs> my yeah. resume's pretty exciting like One of those looking. cards that like pops up. With oh like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just an idea, everywhere. everybody, just give an idea. <laughs> job skills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, whether it's, you don't have the right letters after your name or you don't have enough followers on your social media platform. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many ways that the world will say like, pass, like your resume is going to get put in that pile. And to not let that be your identity, to not allow that to change the value of your work, mm -hmm. that like what I have to do, what I have to offer, whether it's about getting the job or keeping the job or doing the next thing, the working as unto the Lord is good in of itself, even if people on the outside will want to flatten who you are based on these sort of markers of what they think is successful. And that's, I, I, I love that because, I mean, right now in a, in a context where there's the economy, you know, has been in upheaval for a year, there's a lot of people who are experiencing the thorn and thistle, not of a specific workplace, but trying to get into the workplace. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really helpful reminder of um, how the brokenness of the world can impact that search for a job and feeling like you're not being appreciated 
or valued the way that um, you know your work can be. And it's hard even when you're on the other end, like hiring. Like I'm in a lot of hiring conversations, and it's really hard to try to see a full person mm -hmm. from a 45-minute interview and a piece of paper, and trying to, you know, as a Christian, like not discount someone because something looks fishy or, you know, I get why we want to make these decisions. It's quicker, it's faster when you only have a limited amount of scope in terms of seeing if someone's going to be a good fit, but that's just not how God sees people. Mm -hmm. And so I think wrestling with that is important for us. I was similar vein, but, um, I think there's, there's testing and temptation and, um, I, several thoughts in my head. Um, sometimes we're trying to rush what we think we want. And whenever I, whenever I feel that kind of pressure, um, I think Satan's kind of pushing me and tempting me and saying, Hey, this, you need to do this. Right. And I think once I put that, you know, that worry or that, that thing on God, he'll answer. And it's been a faith builder for me to like take legitimate concerns and, and just put it on an altar and say, I can't deal with this. Right. I, I I had a, a situation in my career where I didn't know if I was ready to go out on my own or not. And uh, I, met a, I, I met a Persian Jew. And I was praying about this, like, often, right? And I met at a party, a networking event, this Persian Jew. And he said, looked at my name. He says, you're Jonathan Lee. He goes, I've been trying to meet, meet you. I was like, you're trying to meet me? Why? And he's like, well, I read all the resumes at your company, and, and you're a Christian. You have values. So he's like, I want to work with you. And I was like, what? And he became one of my best clients, right? And, like, God brought that guy into my life who I never would have found on my own, ever, right? And that gave me the boldness to, like, you know, God's, you know, I, it's warm underneath the wing of a dragon, right? Like, that's one of my, that's, like, one of my mantras in life is, like, I'm under the protection of a God who wants the best for me. And it might not be what I think I want. It might be something else he chooses for me. It might be a direction he takes me off at a completely different angle. But to him be the glory. It's amazing. So that's my... I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I think um, it's really compelling. And, you know, we didn't even get to dive into all of it. But this idea of wrestling with idolatry or inconvenience and the thorns and thistles, a lot of what we've talked about are the thorns and thistles of the workplace itself. There are thorns and thistles in our own hearts as well. And, and um, I'm working through and I, I want to take just a minute on that, even though we're a little bit over our discussion time. Um, the, the thorns and thistles personally and internally for, for you guys, like, what does that look like in that con in your context? What does it look like, Jonathan? You shared a little bit about kind of how the the darkness or the the struggle or the idolatry of your workplace can can influence you, just like you're trying to influence them. Like, mm -hmm. how do you wrestle with those internal thorns and thistles in in your in your workplace? In, in Okay, a couple, couple of quick thoughts. First of all, if you don't know me, and Brian does, because we lived together basically since college in my late 20s, I had nine jobs in my 20s. I mean, I was struggling to figure it out. I, I, I was constantly just trying to find the light switch in a dark room. Finally, I found my way in my career, and it's been, I've been 15 years in my career. Now I'm at a point where I have more opportunity than I ever thought I would. But what's interesting about it is um, the acids, if you would, of, of temptation. Um, are constantly coming at me. And the anecdote are the principles that I spent my youth and throughout my you know, understanding of Christ. And whenever I get over my skis and I reread you know, scripture or I read you know, specific books on this, it grounds me again, right? It takes away, it, it's, it's the anecdote to the acids. That's what I would say. 
Um, you guys are always quoting uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, John Piper's book, Money, Sex, and Power, life-changing book. Because he looks at those three things as, as the biggest temptations that you know, mankind has, is money, sex, and power. He goes, but flip them around. Maybe those are just blessings that God gave us to bring us complete fulfillment. Maybe he used money as, as a steward to be a conduit. Maybe he used sex as a powerful thing within a marriage. Maybe he used power you know, as, as a legislature to pass good bills. Right? Everything has a, has a, a flip side to it. So, um, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. And that is actually a perfect segue into oh. <laughs> the context of redemption, yeah. uh, which is what we're going to move on to, the hope of work in this next session. But before I do that, we are having a Q&A after this third discussion that will be coming up after this third uh, teaching time. And I'm going to give you a phone number that you can text in questions or gifts or funny pictures or whatever it is. You can do whatever you want. I already got a funny gif from Joshua in the back over there, a picture of you with your head uh, exploding from the stage, which is great. But it's not exploding, it's just big. He it, says, with hair? Okay. Yeah, uh, there's no hair. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, yeah, that would be good though. Next, <laughs> next one, Jonathan, or uh, Joshua. Jonathan's up here. Um, the phone number is 323-680-5440. Three two three six eight zero five four four zero, and I think there's a slide up as well. You can text some questions to me. I will uh, take a look at those, and, and uh, we'll have them for our Q and A, which will be after our next panel. Um, I did want to also say that Brian, in that last teaching session, uh, he said. Uh, thorns and thistles is a metaphor you can take out for a walk, which is a metaphor on a metaphor, which is amazing. And I just want to give him a round of applause for that <laughs> as we transition to the next session. I will happily put even more metaphors on top of metaphors. All right. Last, uh, hope, for, hope for work. Now, at this point... Um, what you're noticing is, is how deep we could go into any one of these. Um, my time of teaching is in some ways short and kind of truncated. Our panel time is short and truncated. One of the reasons uh, for doing, well, at least a few reasons for doing that. One of them is just for time. We can't have a five-hour conference uh, this way. Another reason is because these are conversations that are meant to begin here and ideally spread out in your life amongst others that you know. The beauty of a local church is that we're a place in which we know one another, at least some people in the church, if not a lot. And that means that you have access to us as pastors, you have access to maybe some people who are on this panel, and you have access to people who could be on the panel. And you can have these discussions with them and begin to plumb the depths of what it means for you to struggle with your thorns and thistles at work and be able to get guidance and wisdom and encouragement there. But for now, this last session is hope for work. There's a value, there's struggle, and there's hope. Now, when we see the thorns and thistles, when we see the problems at work, almost immediately, just as a default posture, we, want to ch we immediately try and change our circumstances. So, so you're going to try and you know, avoid the annoying coworker. You're going to try and get transferred to a different department. You're going to switch majors. You're going to get a new productivity system. You're going to fix the circumstances around the problem. Of course, what we just saw is that the problem isn't just outside of us. It's also us being drawn it's inside of us. That's being drawn to these things ourselves. And so the way that work is going to change, the, the way that work, you're going to find hope for your work is not going to be just by changing circumstances. Now, to be fair, changing circumstances can do some things. It can be very helpful, but it can't be the solution. 
It, it, it isn't, it's not that powerful. It doesn't go deep enough. Now, in Colossians 3, uh, right at the end of Colossians 3 into, into the beginning of Colossians 4, you get Paul, <clears throat> and he writes this. I'll read it. Uh, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will be paid back or you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, Paul's talking to servants in the ancient world, and without having time to dive into all of this, uh, there are a lot of differences between being a servant then and being an employee now, but Paul still treats what they do as work. He talks about them working. And he honors them in what they do by giving them instructions on how to do it in a way that pleases the Lord. Now, if they're supposed to understand their work this way, how much more should we understand our work this way? And the very center is in verse 21. It says, whatever you do, work heartily. In other words, the change Paul's talking about when it comes to how you view your work and where you find hope for your work isn't about changing what you do, though of course you can if you'd like. Paul's after a bigger game. The primary way that work changes is by us changing in the way we go about our work, and where we locate our hope for our work. When works in, I, we, the phrase work heartily, literally means to work from the soul. That's what the, 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 the literal meaning of that word heartily is, to work from the soul. Now, when works in idle, you're actually working for your soul. You can't work from the soul because you're working for your soul. The idol is going to give you a soul. It's going to give you worth and security and meaning and identity. So you have to work for it. You can't work from it because you're trying to get it. When works in inconvenience, you're working against your soul just by being at work. You're working against where you find life and meaning because it's somewhere else. Only when, when you know, like Paul says, that you are serving the Lord in your work are you able to actually work from the soul, to work heartily as unto the Lord. Ultimately, your boss isn't your boss. Your professor isn't your boss. Your shareholder, your performance reviews, your goals, for, they're, they're not the one you're serving. Above your boss, above your goals, above your you know, performance reviews and your customer reviews is your Lord, is Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, you're going to understand work very differently because in every other situation, no matter who you're working for, in every situation except the Christian situation, you always work more for your boss and your boss works for you. That's what bosses do, is they outsource the things they don't want to do, the difficult things, to people who aren't them. So you always end up putting in more work for your boss than your boss ever puts in for you. Even if your boss works longer hours than you, they're not, those hours aren't for you. Your, your boss always, you always work harder for your boss and your boss works for you, but not when you're serving the Lord Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, we tend to get, you know, we tend to get so wrapped up in the work that we're doing, we never think about the work Jesus has done for us. But if you look at, you know, in John 17, uh, verse 4, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, he's talking about his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's kind of an expansive prayer, an expansive view of his work. He was given work to do, and he accomplished that work. And that work is, the, it's, it's the gospel message. It's, it's a significant sacrifice to create an opportunity for forgiveness and a relationship with God for sinners like you and like me. In other words, he will always have worked more for you than you will ever work for him. And Paul says, that's the one you're serving. Inside and outside your job, but inside your job, 
that's still the one you are serving, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means, and that's, that unlocks the entire rest of the passage, the inheritance that he's talking about getting in this passage is not determined by your work, it's determined by his work. And so you begin to have all these interesting fallout from this, all these questions that, you know, what will your work give you that he won't give you? What will avoiding your work give you that he won't give you? Now, see, now you understand your work is a calling from a God who will work more for you than you will ever work for him. And so when you understand that he's ultimately the Lord you're serving in your job, that when you are doing work for your earthly boss, that work is actually really for your heavenly boss, your Lord, your Savior, your Christ Jesus. When you understand that, you're able to finally work from your soul. You know, let's put it differently. The gospel is what allows you to endure the thorns and thistles without rejecting your work. And the gospel is what allows you to see the value of your work without turning work into an idol. Now, that does a lot. Uh, it, it makes you someone for whom success doesn't overinflate you and failure doesn't overthrow you. Success doesn't give you the pride that Jonathan's talking about, this sort of endemic situation in almost all workplaces. When you succeed, it doesn't overinflate you. It make you someone who just turns into the prouder person in the room. Because you're grounded, you know who you're really serving. You'll never outwork him. And nothing you get here is ever going to get you more than he's going to give you. But failure doesn't overthrow you. In, in, in when you're working with hyenas, to continue to borrow Jonathan's phrasing, you know, failure is, you know, you're getting thrown to the lions. You're the one that's getting, getting left behind in the herd. That doesn't... That's not how, true anymore when your Lord is the one who works more for you than you work for him. And so you've, in, this, in this very new situation, you're free to cultivate work, to, to embrace the value of work, despite the thorns and the thistles. You can try anything else you want. And we try a lot of things. You can try to work a four-hour work week or read books on work-life balance or you know, learn new skills and navigate boring meetings, you know, get your kids into that new school. There's all these things you can try and do, but nothing else will really give you hope for your work other than recognizing that the one you're serving is the Lord Jesus and dealing with the inheritance that's coming for you through him. Now that's core. Everything else Paul says falls out from that. And so in the rest of the passage is really Paul saying, when you work from the soul, when you're working heartily, what does that work look like? And he gives us a few things and I'll run through them briefly and then we'll, we'll talk in our discussion. If you look at, he talks about integrity. We've talked about that already in the panel. He says, don't work by way of eye service which is basically approaching the job with the attitude that says, I don't want this work to necessarily be good. I mean, that'd be nice. I just need it to look good. So the carpenter doesn't care if the tables are sturdy so long as they look sturdy. You know, the, the insurance salesman who doesn't really care if the customer gets the right coverage as long as they sign the contract, this sort of a thing. Now, obviously there's complexities here. You know, there are times when you can't give as much attention and care to, to something at work as you'd like to, of course. But the gospel frees you to do the work for the work's sake, and that brings out integrity. When you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not putting on a show. He can see past that. And when you have his inheritance coming, you're not afraid you're going to lose it. So you're free to, to do the work well with integrity. And that goes hand in hand, obviously, with quality. You know, when God's the one that you're serving, you do the work for the work's sake, and you do the work well. Because you don't just want to impress a boss or a customer. You actually want to do good work. You want to love God and love people in that work. You care about having a lot of clients, not just because that's a metric of success in your industry, but because you think you can actually do good things for all of those clients. And you're working for the Lord. It makes you do better work because you know he already loves you. You're working from the soul. So it produces integrity that goes with quality. It produces endurance and even kind of a deep-seated joy. 
It says, from the Lord, you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. In other words, when the thorns and thistles come, they can do a lot of things. The politics can wound you and leave you grieving. There's all sorts of things that can happen that are really bad at work. But nothing, no thorn and thistle at work can take away the inheritance you're getting from the Lord. Because no thorn and thistle can overcome him. And so it produces a kind of endurance in the face of those thorns and thistles. When you're seeing things from the, from the, in light of eternity, you're able to walk forward through them. You have a new kind of, and even kind of a joy in the midst of them. Even though they themselves are bad, you have a kind of joy that can't be taken from you because you know what's coming next. You're working for the Lord Christ. He's going to give you that inheritance. And so you're able to move forward in a different kind of a way. Uh, another thing Paul talks about is, is how you're going to end up working with love. Not just like a sort of cold pursuit of integrity and quality with endurance, but, but a warmth of love because it says, you know, you're serving the Lord Christ. Now, if you're serving the Lord Christ, th then that's more than just about what you're doing at work. It's also about the way you're working and the people who are around you. The panel's already talked about that a little bit. The relationships that are at your work aren't just there to sort of clock in and clock out, to sort of be instrumentalized and used for you to get the, the work you need to get done. They're also, when you serve the Lord Christ, you, you look at people the way he looked at them. And so coworkers become actual, robust human beings that you care about. Now look, are you going to have time to sit down and have deep chats with everyone every day? Well, of course not. But you're going to look at them the way that the Lord Jesus Christ does. Not the way that your boss does. Even if your boss is a great person, you're serving the Lord Christ. You're going you're to work with love. And finally, you're going you're to have kind of a sense of perspective. You're going to know what work is and what it's not. And this is surprisingly important. Since it's not an idol or an inconvenience, you can, you can see the value in your work. You can see the creativity of your work. You can recognize the, the provision that your work provides to other people, stuff we've talked about all the way along. But you also have the security in Christ to not make work everything, to navigate the demands your job's going to make on you with wisdom, to draw boundaries around your work, you know, because your boss might want you to make work your idol, but you're, you're, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You're now free to ask, what does Christ want? Does he want me to work more? Does he want me to draw boundaries? You're free to ask that question. When before, when those thorns and thistles inside were, were calling on you, you weren't free to ask it. You were insecure about it. You were passive aggressive about it. You didn't know what to do. You were, you were in turmoil about it. Christ grounds you and allows you to ask those questions and say, what really is best? And look at square in the face and know that you are serving the Lord Christ and he's the one that's bringing the inheritance. And so your work then becomes holistically Christian. Your faith does make you ethical at work, but that's not all it does. It does make you do a good job, but that's not all it does. It does make you kind to your coworkers, but that's not all it does. It does make you willing to share the gospel, but that's not all it does. It, it, it's all of that because you're working for the Lord Christ. You're working from your soul. And that gives you a means of work that's different. And it gives you a hope for your work that despite the thorns and thistles, you can look at your work and say, the value of work hasn't gone. And because I'm serving the Lord Christ, I can now see hope where before all I thought, saw was, was thorns. I can now be, see what it looks like to move forward with wisdom, working from my soul, even when it's difficult. I can now see what it looks like to be holistically Christian in my job and be able to say, this too is something that God can and will use in my life and the life of others. And so it's time to talk about that. I'll invite the panel back up for our last session. We'll have our Q&A after that. But I want to talk a bit about how this hope works, how the identity in Christ that we have kind of grounds you at work and what it looks like to you know, be a Christian at work uh, with people who are actually doing it. 
I suppose I should say I think I also am actually doing it. That, that's a little, <laughs> or at least Matt is. Um, doing what? But it's different. Being a Christian at work. Oh. <laughs> I said amongst us who are actually doing it as though we oh, yeah, do not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a second job, too, so. <laughs> that's true. It's just me. Yeah. Sounds like a personal struggle for you. <laughs> we can talk about that. Is that what you want this discussion to be? Brian's Decidedly personal struggles? Decidedly not. No, it's <laughs> so many ways not. No. We love each other. I, um, I, I'm desperate to be one of your pastoral staff meetings now. It's I think a lot that, like this. Is it? Okay. And before this, yeah. All right. but it's, it's all... Yeah, it's, it's worse. <laughs> because when, I, when I'm not being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. There's no record. No record. It's worse. You should see our text messages. Anyways, so we're transitioning to the hope of work, which is, I, I think, a, a really great place for this to go. And, and I'm going to start with Charlie here um, in this context. And I think it's helpful after hearing a lot about the thorns and thistles that you've experienced. The question that comes up um, in, in this context, and for those of you who are sending in questions, you can continue to do so because we will be, uh, we'll be talking for 15 minutes and then transition to our Q&A um, but the question in this context is, how has your identity in Christ, the model of the gospel, the idea that Brian said that God works more for you than you'll ever work for him, that there's a, um, a reality to everything in our work context being founded on um, and rooted in the gospel, that we are working for Christ uh, heartily um, as unto the Lord more than anything else, um, and the hope of eternity helped you at work, especially navigating the thorns and thistles that we've talked about previously. Um, I think for me, like knowing myself before I was a believer and like now, I think I would have looked at it like the thorn and thistles of like politics and just like the, the stress that it caused. I probably would have saw it as like, okay, I need to find, it's more of like, this is the, the company's the issue. I just need to find a better company and like start looking for other companies and just looking to leave. Mm. But um having that hope and that security in Christ like allowed me to kind of just sit in it and then kind of wrestle through the issues and the, the things that it caused in my heart and then just like the um, different ways that maybe I had sinful responses to some of those things and to kind of look at it from there. Um, I, think, uh, I think actually the interesting thing was when I started working, I was relatively new as a believer and um, like, Pretty early on in my career, we had gone through the like discipleship pathway, and even just like different sermons, we've talked about like calling and how you're supposed to look at it. Shout and, out to the discipleship <laughs> pathway out there, um, and yeah, one of my favorite things to to go back to. So, um, not everybody's, but yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely had all the head knowledge there in terms of what I was hearing in sermons and just um, kind of sermon discussions or just like different teaching that we had here. Um, but it was kind of then trying to really live that out and see, like, see how that actually impacted my day-to-day. And so for sure, I think I knew, okay, in my head, like, okay, my security, my comfort is not coming from this job. It's not, this is a light and momentary trouble compared to eternity and compared to uh, my worth. Like my self-worth wasn't tied up in that, but it still affected me in terms of my, uh, just like emotionally and my contentment, I think. And so there was a lot of like wrestling through that, I think. And I think maybe if I didn't have that, I probably would have just given up and just maybe like just kind of let myself give into the emotions and kind of just be negative and 
and to kind of give them the depression and th those kind of things. But I think having that hope, it was more of just like, this is a struggle, but I have hope and it's not gonna, it's not gonna make me, you know, become completely disillusioned with the whole industry and completely kind of like lose hope in, in work itself. And so, yeah. I think what's really great about this and what's hopefully helpful for those who, who are uh, um, listening in is the, the struggle of compartmentalization, right? Where if you compartmentalize work as a non-spiritual aspect of your life, you'll never be able to do what you're just talk, talking about. Bring in the hope of the gospel, what Brian's just sharing about. Take the, the, the hope of the gospel, even the, the meta-narrative of scripture and apply it to the context of uh, a workplace that's imperfect, full of brokenness, and you're trying to represent Christ well there. And so it's really important, and, and I think super helpful to, to hear your, your description of that, Charlie. Meredith, let's move on to you and your answer to this question. What does it look like to um, live out in, in, in response to what Christ has done for us, in response to the gospel, the model of the gospel, um, the, the calling of Ephesians? What, what does that look like in the context of thorns and thistles in your workplace? I think there's just such a tremendous amount of freedom in not identifying with my job and recognizing that the work I do matters, but it's not who I am. And it allows me the capacity when I make a mistake to not just crumble. You know, we were talking about workplace politics and, and the pride of like people engaging with each other and, and not knowing how to handle failure. And I think that really stems from the fact that if work is all you have, then a mistake can be devastating. It, it really can ruin you as a person, but that's not who we are in Christ. Because if it's your identity, then it, it, it's like your identity is a failure. Exactly. You are a failure, yeah. not like I made a mistake on this thing. And so there's a way in which there's a, a great freedom to work well and to move past mistakes. When I make a mistake in relationship with other people, if I'm the one who started the work drama, I have an opportunity to apologize, to ask for forgiveness. These are not things that my colleagues know what to do with usually. Is there anything more disorienting for a non-Christian workplace than when you ask for forgiveness? They for just don't know what to do. They're like, oh, you're, you're cool. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. But I think it also allows me to treat, the gospel allows me to treat people as people. And I arrange my day with the expectation that I'm going to have a number of people come to my office, I guess pre-COVID, come to my office with things that they need help with. And I can stop what I'm doing and see them as a person and talk to them and treat them as if what they're dealing with is the most important thing that I have to do with my time right now. I don't have to be so focused on, you know, the bottom line or the, the project, I can actually see people as people. And I think it's easy to get, you know, when you're really focused on a profit or you're really focused on certain success markers, people are a huge inconvenience. That person who needs to learn how to, you know, sort things in Excel again is really, really frustrating, but not if they're a real person. Not if it's, you know, Jan, who you have a friendship with. Is, it, is there actually Jan? There's no Jan. Okay. I, I thought for a minute, I was like, i got to make sure I use a name that doesn't it's, actually. It's, uh, it's Jan. He's a <laughs> Swedish guy. But um, the, uh, so let's, can, can I stop you there? And I want to ask specifically about that, Meredith, because it's interesting. Because, yes, you 
care about people and you want to help them with their Excel spreadsheet, but also you only have you talked about how finite your time is. Like, how, how do you how do you navigate that in the context of hope? So we're seeing everything through the lens of the gospel. The gospel says people have value that that they're made in the image of God. That 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 there's eternal worth in in everybody. That that uh, that Christ sees people as people, and yet you also only have a certain number of hours in a day to give. And if Jan Jan comes to your office every couple hours looking for uh, Excel spreadsheet help or whatever it is, mm-hmm. how do you how do you set boundaries or how do you love people well but also um, uh, make sure that you're actually accomplishing the the task that you're called to and not getting caught up in other things that are outside of the scope of your work? Um, I guess th- that's th- a really those, good those question, tensions. and I would say very imperfectly. Okay, sure. and I've learned a bunch of just professional tricks and tips about, you know, let's set a meeting to talk about that. I have free time this day and things like that. But honestly, I think it, I guess it comes down to inviting the person along for the larger goal of the institution. And at the school where I work, we have certain things we are trying to accomplish as a school, big picture. And I think there are moments where sometimes people will get, your colleagues will get caught in the weeds. And if there's a way to redirect, like, Come with me as we do this. Hmm. Uh, I think that can help create some boundaries, or or even just help people who might get really, you know, tied on something specific. This is really interesting because, as a Christian, so this is sort of how I'm hearing you speak. As a Christian, with a an understanding of sort of the the call for uh, us in our lives as Christians to help our workplaces be a place of flourishing sort of allows us to keep our minds focused on the most important, the, the goals of the organization, the goals of um, helping uh, uh, the organization succeed, whatever that organization looks like, such that when people are coming to us and distracted by other things or, or maybe spending their time, efforts, energies on things that are less oriented towards that goal, you can still see them as a person, but help them because you're so focused on um, honoring Christ, working heartily as unto the Lord, um, and, and representing him well in that context of flourishing, that all of that actually helps you interact with those employees in such a way that you see them as people, but you, re- you can redirect them towards something more profitable in a non-monetary sense. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Jonathan, how about you? Talk, talk to me about what that looks like in your context. Uh, that was really well said. Um... So I do, talking specifically about, you know, working with people, I think there's two ways you can go with them. If, if I'm speaking as a manager right now. Um, so you can help people grow. I think that that's, you want to put people in situations where they can flourish, like you said. Um, but then sometimes you can coach somebody up and you can't make a rock float. And uh, it's better for everybody that they just move on. And I've, I've let more than a handful of people go. Um, but that's because it affects the team. And if your team is out there doing construction loans and you aren't able to place the construction loan as efficiently as possible, which affects the construction workers on the site, then you're not the person for that job. And I, I, I don't see anything ungodly about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think also, one, I keep coming back to several principles. That one of them is truth is the coin of the realm. If you're speaking truth to somebody, they trust you. Whether or not they believe in Christ or not, truth is truth. And um, if you're transacting in truth in how you interact with people, how you treat people, they'll respect that whether or not it's the right job for them or whether or not the right client for you. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. 
So I, I come back to that, but I do like the team thing a lot because it's, it's easier, it's not easier, I mean, it's the truth. You're, you're falling back on the collective and you're trying to move the whole company and the whole team together forward. And if they're a liability, yeah. Transacting in Truth, Jonathan Lee's new book coming out <laughs> September 2021. It's four pages long. Yeah. <laughs> hey, people will read that. <laughs> you know, this day and age, <laughs> attention spans are definitely <laughs> diminishing. Size 25 font. I was just going to say, there are a lot of times where we have to make hard decisions that affect people that yeah. don't feel fun. And I think that if we are really looking out for the big picture, for what's best as best we can mm-hmm. in our limited scope, you know, being able to make those hard decisions and go home at night and say, okay, Lord, you know, I did what I felt called to do today. It didn't feel good, yep. but there's a sense of peace. Yep. It's worth noting that loving people is different than placating people. Yeah. And so you can love me. Like placating me is not loving me. You, you, can, you can care about me and tell me the truth. Can you define placating? Uh, condescending or sort of like plain pretend. With like smaller words than the original <laughs> word? <laughs> condescending is not that big, is it? All right. I, I think that there's a way that we as Christians but can get you, caught would up. Would this be helpful if I did this for all of your sermons too? If I you just do like this for all of you. No, no, like live. Like I was sitting right in the chair talking next about. to this you. This is what happens all the time. Do, so I keep the tell point. people who Descartes is, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> There is a way that we as Christians can think that loving people look, they stop being people, not because we're not loving them, but because we think we are. Um, yeah, it's like being nice yeah. and not actually kind and loving. Yeah. Like, I'm just trying to give the appearance of not making you mad at me. Yeah. And I think that, that ends up turning, that, that you can depersonalize someone by treating them nicely just as much as you can by treating them poorly. And we, we need to love them as people and respect them as people. And that involves honesty and, and truth. Uh, so I kind of want to transition to the Q&A only because some of the questions are actually related to this idea of hope or uh, even the idea of uh, in the midst of the thorns and thistles of life, what you, what you do as a Christian to help cultivate that flourishing. Um, one of the questions, um, oh man, there's so many good questions. A lot of gifts too, uh, just a lot of um, cats dancing and things like that. But other than that, um, the questions were really good. So the, one of the one of the questions was, um, how do you uh, how do you balance conversation in the office that can turn into negative gossip? Um, and this person says that as they uh, as they first started experiencing it, they turned to First Thessalonians four, which talks about making your ambition to lead a quiet life, and you should mind your own business and work with your own hands. But when this person isolated themselves. Um, they weren't being loving to their coworkers. They were just protecting themselves. So, in the context of thorns and thistles in the office place, um, the office place is that a word? No, I don't know. Who cares? Um, in the office context of the office, you have you have uh, something like gossip or something yeah. like negative conversations or um, or something that maybe is clearly non-Christian. What does it look like to navigate a thorn and thistle like that in the context of your workplace? And maybe, Charlie, you were dealing with politics and the internal politics and the pride of that. Um, what, did that what does that look like for you as a Christian um, in your workplace? Yeah, I think that actually was kind of a, a temptation and a, a, something I had to kind of work through is, like, when you had all of that politics, there were definitely a lot of negative feelings about the so-and-so who was doing this stuff, right? So... Um, there's a lot of bad mouthing, there's a lot of gossip, there's a lot of um, negative things being said. And part of me 
wanted to also, I didn't want to just not participate in conversation with them and not um, really kind of share those emotions for sure. Like there's just, just a healthy part of airing out frustration and, and kind of also letting them know that I, I see where they're at and I care about it. Um, I think the part for me that what I had to do was um, not participate on the part about flat, like we were talking about flattening people's images and um, kind of not looking at the, that they're image bearers. So that part I wouldn't participate in, but I would still be present for the conversation and affirm the part of like where they're coming from, their emotions. So like I, I hear that you um, were hurt by this like decision or like that they decided to, to do something even though you told them that you would actually leave the job if they did this. Like, I hear you, I see that, um, I feel bad for you. And, but then I wouldn't necessarily participate in like then any of the, the name calling or any of the other stuff. But I think also the, the second job I went to, there was definitely a temptation of what we did when it got really kind of negative was we would make jokes. So to talk, lighten the mood. And so some of these jokes would then- Brian does that to me too. Yeah, they yeah, would that's be, the road that runs. Yeah, that's a, that's how <laughs> it goes. Yeah, it's in. really so. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying I get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah, yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so to lighten the mood, we would make jokes. Uh, some of them about the people that were causing us issues. Right. Some of about some of the work maybe. So there was that kind of having to kind of ask for forgiveness, repent, not necessarily for the people because we weren't making it in front of their faces, but to God and to to try to not make jokes about the people that would flatten them, but still be able to make jokes that maybe lighten the mood, maybe t make light of some of the hard things we're going through. And so, and to try to be kind of careful with how I did that. So I think okay. just to make sure I see the people in the midst of like maybe some of that negative conversation, affirm their kind of their emotions, where they're coming from, but then yeah. not necessarily try to, try not to participate in the flattening of people's images. Yeah, it, it's really complicated and mm -hmm. tricky because I think that's a very common way that there's camaraderie built and other things mm -hmm. like that in, a, in the context of a, a workplace. So what, what about you guys? Uh, can you speak into this context? Nothing? No. Um, well, in the last year, my office gossip has dropped 90%. <laughs> okay. um, because no one's in the office. Yeah. It's no water cooler. Uh, but it, what I didn't realize until one of my analysts showed me is it's all in Slack. So <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't actually go anywhere. It's, it's, just, not, it's, just, it's in a different location. Um, look, I would say um, if you're in a position of authority where you, or, or in a relationship where you can affect change with the person, then engage. If not, it's gossip. And, and all you're doing is fueling negativity, which is corrosive. I, I, it's as pure as simple as that. I can't tell you how many things I've heard about different colleagues in my 15 years that just are just fodder for the, the, the coffee or, or the, the water cooler, but serve no purpose other than diminish that person and, 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 and hurt their reputation. And ultimately, that will come back on you if you're spreading that kind of... Um, I, I try to approach... There's some people in my office I... I I don't get along with. I'll just be blunt. I I take the mantra of a gray rock. I'm just gonna be neutral. I'm gonna stand here. They're not gonna get around me. They're not gonna get through me. But I'm not gonna irritate them or, or you know push them in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's just. I don't know if we're talking about Christianity at all at this point, but like this is just the reality of dealing with certain people. Like get smart, listen to podcasts, see how narcissists act, and you can get really you know, granular and, and figure this stuff out and be able to navigate it effectively. So. There's something to be said for the fact that the, the Christian way to work is the best way to work. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things where I'm hearing from you guys over and over again is like, if you do it this way, this is actually going to work out best even for the company. Mm -hmm. Like it's very rare. 
it, it, that can be difficult because there's people that can stand in the way of that and there can be idolatries that compete with that. But the truth of the matter is doing it this way is actually helpful. And so it's interesting to try and bifurcate it into like, is this, you know, are we talking about Christianity anymore? In one sense, no, because we're talking about best practices. But in another sense, yeah, because, you know, that's how this, this funnels out into the workplace is by being careful, loving, and, yeah. you know, moving why, toward. Why is a serpent innocent as doves? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's in the Bible. Yeah, but you're transacting <laughs> with people that don't have the same belief system. So sometimes there's an opportunity where you're like, man, I really wronged this person. I want to go back and apologize to them. But they don't have the same concept you do. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go and, and apologize to them, but they don't transact in the same way that, that a Christian or that we do in church, right? So, yeah, it's an opportunity to bring those principles in the church, but you can't expect the person to react, you know, the way you would want them to as a Christian. And if you feel wronged by that and then you carry that wrong forward, you're just multiplying it. So, so and that kind of leads into another question. I think a lot, it's interesting because a lot of the questions are, are related to the same concept of living in and working in a non-Christian workplace. Not everyone uh, works in a non-Christian workplace, but and we have independent contractors and uh, people who work in maybe church or nonprofit setting, Christian nonprofit settings. But um, for each of you, I think this is very relevant and super helpful for, for a lot of people. One of the questions is, how do you balance meeting the goals of your job with upholding your Christian values if there are... Um, aspects of your workplace, like Jonathan, you shared, and I think each of you shared different components, um, where something like happy hours after work, where networking happens, and you're encouraged to attend, and, and people are, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, acting non-Christianly. Uh, um, what does that look like to uphold your Christian values in that context, um, where there's a lot of darkness or a lot of non-Christian uh, um, thinking or actions? Um, but then, kind of connected to that is. Um, is there ever a time to leave um, a job that is maybe feels like it's impacting you so much because of that darkness or that non-Christian culture that's so, so part of it? And, and kind of um, how do you navigate maybe even feeling the guilt of um, relying on the, trying to rely on the Holy Spirit to push through, but knowing that maybe it's the right time to, uh, uh, to be leaving that job? That, that's a lot of questions. It's that's like, a big, yeah, I'm thing. kind of asking a lot of things. But it's all related to the same topic of living in a non-Christian context or working in a non-Christian context, um, feeling the pressures of that world, and also asking, is there a time where, is there a time or a threshold where I need to be out of here because this is impacting me in a, in a way that's not appropriate? I think that's a great question for your community group. <laughs> and enough. one to talk talk out like it's those things are not easy choices to make and it's hard when you don't know the specific circumstances to really answer that I I have not personally been in a scenario where I felt like wow the evil in the world got too bad and I I I just need to opt out but I completely relate to the the weirdness and the isolation of being like the Christian they put me on a panel as the conservative voice which was just funny because I don't like... A diversity like, panel, right? Like, but people who know me here, yeah. it was totally diversity. People who know me here are like, you know, Meredith, she might be a little kooky and hippie out there. And, but there, I'm like the conservative, which is funny. So, but I Just because you're from Texas, so it's just like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, but I, I wanted to sort of out myself as a Christian early. And like you said, you know, in, in your work, like, People just know, oh, Meredith, she's that Christian one. And so there are lots of opportunities where 
you know, you'll be in a conversation and everybody's talking about something and they're like, what does the Christian think? <laughs> and I think those are really great moments and I'm really thankful for those moments. And so there are ways in which the work can be hard, the work can be dark, and a good touchstone for me is, am I still able to share and shine the light of Christ? Can I still do the work that I'm being called to do without compromising my values? There have been some moments in our work where that was a question, like, the school wants me to do this, can I do that ethically? Or is that going to compromise? And I think if you're in a position where that's coming up a lot, that's a really good time to have some conversations with trusted Christians and, and talk through it. Like because, I'm being pressured to do something that is against my... Well, like I work in marketing, and yeah. there is a way in which a lot of marketing is lying. And so I really have to approach that part of my job with, you know, I want to tell the truth of the school. And if there came a point, which has not been the case, but if there came a point where I was being asked to sell something that isn't the product, I would need to have some conversations with my boss. I might need to move on if that was the case. And I, I think there are a lot of people who get in those kind of positions where the work says this is required. And as a Christian, you have to say, there, there needs to be an opt-out, or maybe this isn't a good position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's even people in the church who are, um, who work in, uh, like, movies or things mm -hmm. like that who've, who've opted out of projects because the content of the project makes them so uncomfortable because of yeah. what it is. So it's interesting to, to think about that and navigate that in a marketing context. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what about for you, Charlie? Do you, have you experienced any of those, like, pressures from mm -hmm. the workplace in that context to... Um, go against your values as a Christian in a way that you almost question whether you should be there or not? Uh, I don't think anything like I was working on or anything they asked me to do ever had that kind of conflict, but I kind of like what you said about in answer the, starting to answer the question about like going to your community group about like whether or not to leave, like when do you know? Um, that's exactly what I kind of did when I was thinking through all these things. Um, I definitely felt like maybe for some people that I was always looking for a job for the first, like the last three years. But um, for me, it was, um, a lot of it was just asking them for, to, to pray for me, asking for wisdom and like more, in, like it, I'm only seeing it from my point of view. So if I can ask people, give them the context and a lot of them knew like other people who are working at that first company. So they have context, they know, actually one of them was working with me in that company. And so they have context, they know me and my, my uh, personality and my, uh, just my faith, right? And so then they can speak wisdom into that and, and just praying about it, right? And I think um, for me, what I came to was, I kind of saw it as like, I'm building relationships with my coworkers and um, these are people that God has, uh, you know, given me the access to, to, to kind of be a light, to, to um, care for, to love, and to, to speak to like the gospel, right? And so uh, once those relationships started to leave the company, so like, either they left because they couldn't really stomach what was going on anymore or sure. they were forced out or they different things then as that started to to go I kind of saw as like okay well a lot of these relationships are gone I, I I'm gonna start looking for jobs because those people those contexts I have are gone now right the work is also not healthy for me uh, just emotionally mm -hmm. um, and uh, like I don't want to like it got to the point where I was waking up later so that 
because I just didn't want to go to work. So I would wake up until, like the last second possible and then go into work uh, when I had to be there as opposed to just like when I, I was going in way earlier before. So yeah. um, kind of like that, that's not healthy anymore for me. Yeah. And so then I just, I started looking for jobs and if I, I was kind of the approach was like, if I land at something and it, it looks like that's somewhere I can actually flourish, I can go and build relationships, I can uh, build also skills, then that's where I would go. And so a lot of places, it kind of was like, I'm, I'm walking into it, seeing if God is opening that door or closing it. And so a lot of them were interviews and then nothing came out of it. But then once I got one and it looked like it was uh, somewhere I could, act, so the, actually the second job I went to, I followed uh, Charlie Cahoon there. So um, that was a place where I felt like, okay, I have someone that is also a Christian who goes to the same church. I have that context. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can actually go here and, and grow and also build other relationships and invest in other people. And it kind of felt like time to, to go from the first company because all the people I knew were gone. And it wasn't really healthy for me at that point. So I think it's yeah. great. I think it's super helpful to go to your community, mm -hmm. the brothers and sisters in Christ who know you, share with them your heart, and let them speak to that and mm -hmm. help you navigate the specifics of your of your specific issue. Yeah, one of the things that Phil and I, my husband and I, talk about when it comes to evaluating work is, uh, and he sort of coined the like people, projects, money triangle, and to ask like, is there opportunity to invest in people here? Are the projects something that uh, is a way that I can contribute to flourishing is money taking care of our family and providing for the needs that we have and and to to talk through those kinds of things with your close community can be really helpful when you're trying to navigate those tricky like is this a good place is it time to move on am I feeling called somewhere else because I think those those questions come up a lot and Jonathan, I mean, your context uh, is really... Uh, I got stories. Yeah, you got, tell, yeah. Us, tell us some stories. We got a little bit of time. Tell us some stories. Uh, uh, the, uh, look, there's definitely times where you become more aware of a culture and, and there's organ rejection. And sometimes that's you, right? So the job I had before... Organ the, rejection? Yeah. Oh, okay. You're out. You're, just like, you're pulling the ripcord. The job I had before this, you know, I, I loved it. It was a real estate development job. And we were getting um, projects entitled in the city faster than any other developer in the city. And I couldn't figure out why. I just thought we were the geniuses. And it turned out that my, the owner of the company was bribing city officials and um, using various other things to, to get city councilmen to approve his projects. As soon as I found that out, I, I put my resume together. I'm like, I can't, I can't, this is a house of cards. Like, you know when the wrong is wrong. Um, and a year and a half later, that company went bankrupt. So, you know, I'm not saying that I was a genius for seeing that, but like you- Or did knew, it go bankrupt because you left? That, definitely not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the subprime housing crisis had one of them doing oh, bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was me. Was that you? Yeah, that was me too. <laughs> me too. You caused wow. the housing crisis. Yeah, yeah, you guys are giving me a lot of credit. Um, the back row over there is too young to even know what that was all about. You guys were in diapers when that was happening. <laughs> but- uh, Somebody brought up networking. I, I, I would shun, I think, early in my career, the networking. I, I definitely don't now. Um, I think it's a very valuable thing, but everything is in moderation. Like, if you start to network and have dinners four nights a week and you're not hanging out with your family, mm -hmm. that's a problem, right? But going and having a happy hour and having a drink or two and then leaving, if, you, if, if, if you're comfortable with that, I don't see any issue with that. Then there's Vegas. Like, just keep a real talk. There's conferences in Vegas, you know, a drink or two, go to bed, no problem. The strip club, obviously not. I mean, there are just, it's, it's, it's in your world. I mean, it, it can't get away from the fact the world is the world. But um, those are real temptations, and those are real places where business gets done. Um, but you have a choice, so.
Yeah, it's good to leave something on the table if it means like, you know, well, everybody's outside and all the good work happens when they're, yep. you know, half drunk. Maybe you don't get the good work yeah. and it's okay to be okay with that. Yep. There's something really powerful about the fact that we as Christians are representing Christ in these non-Christian spaces because there's sort of a reflex in me that, that almost, and maybe a lot of Christians feel this too, where they say, um, I'd rather not have to deal with that. Right. I'd rather just be in a, a Christian environment. I'd rather be independent from that and rather not have to be in these messy spaces where I have to figure out, is my workplace influencing me or am I influencing my workplace? Like, but the reality is, um, this is, this is God's calling for many of us in the context of the church to live in these non-Christian spaces, not to pull ourselves out from the world. This is what it means to be in the world but not of the world. You're wrestling with that in, mm -hmm. every, in every sense of the word. Um, you're, you're wrestling with the, the reality of and the complexity of and the need for wisdom, the need for nuance, the need for uh, advice from brothers and sisters in Christ, the need for the Holy Spirit to guide you as you navigate these um, these complex worlds um, that are full of idolatries and full of um, uh, darkness in different ways. And if you said it earlier, Jonathan, I might be the only Christian they ever interact with in their life. There's a reality of the fact that if you're not there, there's no Christian presence. There's no salt. No salt. And so, um, you know, some of the nuances of these, you know, some people might, I'm just anticipating some people sort of reflexively saying, you know, if you're getting invited to a, a conference in Vegas and you have to navigate whether you can have one drink or two drinks and go to a strip club or not, you know, all these other things. Like, why even be in that workplace? And there's a reality to the fact that um, if we are going to be Christians representing Christ in a broken world, um, if, we, if, if we're not going to do this, if we're not, not going to engage in this way and answer these difficult questions and wrestle with what it means to carry our identity in Christ into these spaces, we might as well not live in LA. We might as well live somewhere else where, where everyone is, uh, uh, claims to be a Christian and it's a lot easier to, to live these, and you don't feel these pressures. And I think, I'm sorry, I'm ranting now. Why am I ranting? <laughs> Anyways, I'm just excited about that because it's a very compelling vision for life in a holistic way to say, I'm gonna live this way purposefully to represent Christ well because I believe this is what God has called me to, um, even though it's hard and answering these questions is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And you all had your microphone up to your oh. mouths at different points. So. <laughs> Meredith, do you have something? I was going to say, if if you think that a Christian space is not a sinful space, just or come that to the there's church no like meeting. potential yeah. for a culture to bleed in, sure. then, you know, perhaps you should talk to your community group about that. You're missing the fact that the sin point. comes from our hearts, right? It, absolutely. That, but I do, like, I, I love that. That's why, that's why my family is here in L.A., because we want to impact the world for Christ. Yeah. And we should see ourselves as missionaries here. Like we are going out being salt and light in a place that is dark. And so that is gonna need support. It's gonna need accountability. It's gonna need people who you know will call you and make sure you didn't go to that party in Vegas and say, you know, if that's something you're struggling with and um, you know, we wanna be in those places so that- And, and God, God does some Amazing work in that. Like I, I, I'd be vulnerable. I'd be vulnerable to anybody. If you ask me this question, I'd tell you that. But I was in a line going to South, on Southwest Airlines to go to something in Vegas, and I was alone. No, normally, I have like you know my colleagues, and there's witnesses of what you do there. And I'm like, this is just not a good situation. Like I just could feel it in my head. I'm like, God, I need some help here. And four people in front of me was Greg Apkarian, who was going <laughs> for another conference. 
right? I was like, God, thank you. you're awesome. We had no idea. This is another member of our church at the time. And uh, I was like, God, you're amazing. So we both went to our respective conferences. We met up for a drink, and then that was it. The, the temptation, because I put it out there. I was like, God, I, I'm going in a situation where it might not, you know, this might not, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm, I'm, I'm normal, right? But, um, man, God shows up if you, if you put it out there. So I, I, wouldn't, shun, I wouldn't shun the opportunity to um, shine light, like you said, in different aspects of the world just because there's temptation. Like, it's just a reality. You can hide in your room. You're still going to be tempted. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and I, I, again, God, I don't know. I'm, conti- I'm smiling because God's amazing when he shows up when you, when you need him the most. So, yeah. There are a few other uh, practical questions um, uh, about, you know, working through the night and um, uh, other kind of specific situations. I, I would say in a lot of the, the questions that came up that were in that vein, um, a lot of them are, you know, Meredith, you mentioned it, uh, going to your community group and wrestling through those things with brothers and sisters in Christ, how to navigate the logistics and the specifics of those questions. I think that's what, uh, the right place to go um, uh, on those uh, other questions. And then everything else is just cat gifts. And so um, <laughs> I think uh, we're going to wrap up. I think we're coming to the end of our time here. B, did you have anything I else mean, you wanted uh, to wrap well, up Well, thank with? you to the three of you, yeah, especially round for, um, for coming out. Um, we're very, yeah, um, it's fun for me to hear. And I think uh, it's probably helpful to, to say out loud and to everyone, um, th- this, is, as, this particular issue, amongst many, but this particular issue is one in which uh, I need, as a pastor, you guys probably more than you need me. There's a, lot, there's a lot of ways in which, there's a lot of issues where it's like my job is to go and study and learn the things and then pass them on to you. And there's ways that that works. And it's never quite that simple. There's always a recipro- reciprocity there. Um, but this is a particular issue where because of the job that I work, this panel is particularly important because I need to hear what it's like. I, need, I, I can't see it. I don't live it the way you guys live it. Other things I live, these, this thing I don't, I don't. Not the same way that you do. And so I find it incredibly helpful. Um, and so I really appreciate you guys being here and sharing that. Um, and I, I myself learn a little more each time I hear you talk about it. I also, yeah. I was just going to say, and this, we, as we kind of were thinking about this panel, you can't, we, yeah. uh, we can't yeah. represent every single. So my hope and my prayer in this is if, if you feel like, oh, my specific situation isn't represented well here, my hope and my prayer is that there are things here, principles here, um, truth here, experience here, that, that it can be helpful for your particular experience. We have hundreds of different contexts, and so my hope and prayer, you know, this is just one snapshot, but my hope and prayer is that there, there are things and principles that could be um, uh, uh, helpful for you that you can draw out from this conference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, preaching every Sunday and reminding us of the truth. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, we come My back pleasure. every week and we, we get it and it ter- you carry it into the week. It's, 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 it's a reciprocal relationship, like you said. So thank you, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, let me close this out in prayer and then we'll be, we'll be done. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for um, just the, the truth and the experience and the, the hope of the gospel that we got to hear tonight. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would help us take the hope of the gospel our identity in Christ, um, the truth that we have in you and carry that into our vocations, carry it into our workplaces, carry it into the places that we spend the majority of our weeks, Lord, um, dedicating ourselves. I pray that we would be um, people who would invest ourselves, 
not for our glory, but for your glory. Uh, pray that we would be men and women who would work heartily for you, Lord, would um, give you great honor and glory as we uh, represent you in our workplaces. Pray that you would help us navigate the complex situations um, that we find ourselves in in our work context, the thorns and thistles, um, both in our work places and in our own hearts, Lord, in the context of work. Um, pray that our work would not be, our vocation would not be an idol in our lives or an inconvenience, but um, would be what you've called it to be in our lives. Uh, I pray that you, you would just do mighty work in and through us in our workplaces this week um, and ongoingly, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your redemption, your hope, your truth um, that guides us in all aspects of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Cornerstone West Los Angeles. For more information, please visit us on the web at cornerstonewla.org.